Why are police photographing our license plates? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Welcome to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. My guest today is Steve Wimberly. It's a producer, director of the documentary Killing Atticus Finch. We all know Atticus Finch was the name of the character in To Kill a Mockingbird that Gregory Peck played. This is a very similar but a different story. It tells the true story of the trial and conviction of former Alabama Governor Don Singleman. Uh, first of all, Steve, uh, good afternoon and welcome to The Reasonable Voices. It's our pleasure. I want to mention that Steve studied at uh, the Emory University and Harvard University and now lives in California. And Steve, you are the executive producer, is it, at uh, Pepper Tree Films? Yes, actually, um, this is a joint venture between Earthworks Films and yes. Pepper Tree Films. Yes. Earthworks um, is headed by Maria Florio. She is an uh, Academy Award winner. And we're also teaming with uh, Mimi Kennedy, um, oh. well-known actor and uh, activist. Yes. He's seen on now on uh, uh, several TV shows, in particular Mom on CBS. Yes. Um, so we're we're three teaming up to make this movie, and uh, so we're, it, it's a joint venture between um, Earthworks and and Pepper Tree Films. And of course, it's you know about Don Siegelman, who, who was. The only Democrat in Alabama, well, the only person in Alabama history to hold all four offices, statewide offices, um, uh, executive offices in history. So he was a very popular Democrat who happened to have been railroaded into jail by Karl Rove and his uh, his minions, so Mm -hmm. to speak, or his colleagues. Mm -hmm. And he did this by um, uh, having several of his loyal confidants. Appointed to many judicial offices mm-hmm. throughout the judicial system in Alabama, and when they were in place, this was back during the Bush White House. When they were in place, they set up literally a conspiracy to uh, get rid of the governor because they couldn't beat him at the polls. And they were also, you know, they were nasty political rivals. Mm. Um, although Don had a completely unblemished record in public service. 
an, as an office holder and well as a person as well. Uh-huh. And yet they uh, trumped up charges against him just to smear his name. And then they further rigged a court to have him prosecuted. And people are stunned. And I'm still stunned that mm-hmm. this could happen in America. Yes. I mean, there, there was, the corruption was so overt that it's really staggering that that they were waiting, uh, oh, they could get away with it. This happened in America. This is not some third world country. Yes. This happened in, in America. So the, the story itself, uh, as it unfolds, there's just one level of corruption. The former uh, corruption is just one uh, injustice after another after another, and mm-hmm. it was allowed to continue because um, all of the, uh, I guess, the safeguards that are set up in our judicial system to prevent such injustice completely failed him. Um, they were all, well, the, the people who were supposed to oversee the judicial oversight in the case were all manned by people that Karl Rove installed. Mm. They're, well, not all of them, but most of them. And they were in power. They, you know, they were in power, the, you know, everyone from the attorney general, you know, all the way down to the prosecutors. They mm. were all Republicans and wanted to get rid of them. And this tells the story of how they got away with it. And uh, it's one of the, uh, as so many people have said, it's one of the greatest injustices they've ever seen. It's uh, taught in law schools as uh, 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 for um, prosecutorial misconduct. Some, mm. some of the top law schools. Um, and yet, this, you know, here's a man that's still in jail. Um, nice. uh, an innocent man still sits in prison because of the corruption they put in there and the safeguards that were there to protect them failed him completely, just like in, uh, uh, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird. Yes. You know, Atticus Finch was a progressive Alabamian that uh, uh, believed in a judicial system that completely failed him, and hence the name, uh, or the title of our film. Yes. Well, uh, you've answered a number of questions I had intended asking, but this is, I can hear, as much uh, political importance and patriotic importance to you as it is in making a good film. I always, uh, it's my favorite combination, I must admit, uh, as a director. I love when the performing arts and the media and film and television and can combine to tell the truth about history and about patriotism. Let's, for a moment, let's talk about the film just for a moment. Give us some idea. How did you get involved? What what happened? Uh, I'm not saying we have to separate the political implications of the documentary, um, but how did you get in, drawn into this? How were you attracted to the subject? I was attracted um, because of what happened. I followed the story and it was easy to see that a true injustice was being done. Uh-huh. Uh, and I followed it and uh, we both had um, uh, a common friend who, uh, uh, who put us in touch. And that's when the ball started rolling. Um, it, it really took a little time. It took a couple of years before mm-hmm. we actually jumped in, you know, both feet yes. um, into the story. But once, you know, once that was, once we did, that's when everything started coming out. And there's there's been quite a bit reported on the story already, but in yes. individual parts. And we were, of course, want to highlight some of the journalism that uh, really brought this story to the forefront. We've also inferred more information, more uh, injustice, more corruption, mm-hmm. and we want to expose it all. 
Most of us will, well, a lot of us will admit there's a whole lot about not only American history but uh, current events that is uh, extremely disappointing. But still, as I uh, researched for today's show, uh, the, the story of former governor, Alabama Governor Don Singleman, was just as you said, shocking. And I guess shocking enough that you're bringing together, I mean, you and Pepper Tree Films, and Earthworks Films, and Mimi Kennedy. That's quite a trio to be drawn to a subject and collaborating. I, I know that Earthworks Films, I believe its mission statement is something like it strives to hold a mirror up to the world so it may heal itself. Wow. That's, that's some... Yes, Maria, yes, Maria has a powerful voice. Um, she, she has an excellent sense of storytelling, and she knows how to dig deep find the, uh, the, the real truth uh, in things. And so I'm really proud that she that we're teaming up together, along with Mimi. Yes. Uh, Mimi really has a, you know, a, a long legacy of storytelling in her, as an actor. Yes. Um, so she, uh, she understands and has been a tireless advocate for uh, Governor Siegelman over the years. You know, this is uh, something that's been a passion of hers, and because uh, she doesn't want to sit by and, and passively let such uh, a terrible uh, injustice, you know, happen. Mm-hmm. To travesty of justice. So, uh, as a team, I think we're really prepared to take this forward. We have the story down really well, yes. and we're we're ready to uh, to ready to you know tell it to the world. And you know, I think it's important too that. Uh, America understand and Americans understand that when, when our any branch of government, but especially our judiciary, because we tend to think, despite some of the things the Supreme Court has done, so actually it's been rather inconsistent lately in favor of liberals, so I, I don't want to bash it too much, but, but when we feel the court system is compromised, that really is in many ways our last hope for justice. I mean, I'm not... Obviously, uh, that's where justice is. But I mean, it it used to be we could depend on the news media, and I'm in the news media, so I can say that uh, uh, to to be that uh, to that standard to protect justice for all. But not so much anymore. So I t- I lean on documentaries um, because they tell the facts. They're not just trying to be entertainment. And also, like most Americans, I, I'd like to think that we get our day in court and it's a fair one. But the story of former Alabama governor Don Singleman, a moderate Democrat, as you say, um, how did he get elected so much in the first place in, in conservative Alabama? How, what, what was it that, that got him elected? I find that part of the story even intriguing. Moderate progressive. Mm. Um, 
and he won for a couple reasons. One is that he was very well respected. He had an unblemished record of public service, and he was also very well liked. Even in my discussions with him and communications, he has a high degree of emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've heard the book, Emotional Intelligence. Yes, yes. he displays an extremely high level of it. Um, he knows how to communicate with people. Um, you know, he just he has a calming effect, but at the same time, a very bright fellow. I mean, he went to uh, went to um, Cambridge. Or it was Oxford, I believe, he went to uh, Oxford mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, for a master's degree. And he, you know, he went to law. He has a law degree from uh, um, Georgetown. Very well educated, wow. very bright fellow. And he, uh, I think, those the combination of those things. Uh, propelled him to the top of the political market. He, one time he was a dark horse candidate for the White House. Right. I think that Republicans Republicans saw that as a potential future threat. Uh, so they took measures. Again, that was just more fuel to the fire for why they wanted to railroad him or you know politically assassinate him to get him out of the way. Mm-hmm. It's the judicial system itself is something we want to highlight in the film. Mm-hmm. And uh, for instance, his the judge of his case was Mark Fuller. Mark Fuller now has, uh, under threats of impeachment, he has resigned. Wow. That was because he, he beat his wife uh, at an Atlanta hotel room last year, in August of last year. Hmm. And under threat of impeachment, he re- finally resigned. I mean, he realized there was no way he was going to go back on the bench. So, you know, set as a um, federal court judge in Montgomery and was the judge in the Siegelman case. Mm-hmm. What a lot of people don't know is that he was placed there under, by Republicans under the Bush administration, and he was put there to favor, um, this is my belief, uh, my, my opinion, is that he was put there to favor the federal government uh, whenever anything, any trial came before the federal government in court. So as it turns out, during his time on the bench, the government won every single case. You know, there's there's a, a strong military presence in Montgomery. There's sure. uh, especially with Maxwell Air Force Base. Yes, um, there's a very strong military presence, and they wanted, uh, you know, they, they wanted you know show favoritism towards the Air Force in that area, and they got it with Judge Fuller. Like I say, 100% that we found, I don't think we're missing anything, but 100%, that's unheard of, to, to, for all rulings to go in favor of the government. And there's several others that uh, were put in place, too, uh, judges, and that have the same record. And they were put in place, uh, you know, not by accident. They weren't there for their, uh, you know, how well-educated or their principles. They were just put there, you know, to... It's my opinion. They were just put there to, you know, rule in favor of the government. Um, there's many other judges who have been put in place by big money organizations. Mm-hmm. You know, tobacco, gambling. Uh, they're put there specifically to to favor, you know, big money organizations. And that's part of what we're going to cover in the film. And I think people will be shocked to learn just how, you know, how egregious their their support for, you know, their benefactors have been um, being, you know, the large corporations. And so the little guy really doesn't have a chance at fairness, you know, because the deck's stacked against them from the beginning. The courts, the courts are rigged, and that's what we, you know, we want to show in our documentary. You, you know, Steve, let me ask you, I know you keep saying this is your opinion, and I appreciate that, but... 
When you say they will put in place these judges, are the judges in uh, Alabama or in this particular case, are they um, appointed or are they elected? They are appointed. Um, and in some cases, they are elected, such as Mississippi. Uh-huh. Um, Supreme Court, there was a Supreme Court justice there, ironically a Republican, uh-huh. um, Oliver Diaz. He was a Republican, but he typically did not... He was fair, you know. He kept things fair, you know, uh, of how he ruled uh, on the Mississippi Supreme Court. Well, it turns out some of the larger businesses contributed to the small business or the business enterprise. I forget the name of it, but it's a. Uh, it sounds like uh, a nonprofit. Uh-huh. Uh, they take donations from large corporations, and those corporate uh-huh. they take that money and they give it to potential candidates to run against incumbents yes. uh, already sitting on the bench. Well, these people that they find or recruit are, are there specifically to rule in favor of those large corporations. Mm-hmm. And how can, how can an incumbent who runs for the Supreme Court in Mississippi, who only has you know uh, fifty or $75,000 in campaign funds, mm-hmm. how can they run against somebody that has a million dollars? That's how much, you know, that's a cheap price for these companies to pay. Because, uh, you know, the, the judge is going to rule in their favor. And, you know, a judgment can be, he can, you know, he can uh, do everything or she can cut judgments against those companies. They can rule in favor of, of, you know, lower prices for them or higher prices to consumers. You know, they have the, the company's interest in their back pocket. Um, and judges so and judges are pretty autonomous in, in their own courts anyway. But if you've got the backing of... Uh, Corporations that want things to go a certain way—that that certainly quadruples the negative uh, impact on justice. I would think. Yes, Carl Rove realized that years ago. He realized the power of, of the judicial system, and he set about trying to change it back in the nineties. Both Texas and Alabama is where they started, mm-hmm. and they have successfully, you know, spread this uh, doctrine of you know commercialism in the courts, and it has inhibited. Judgments against you know the little guy. It's you know like I say, the, the deck stacked against the little guy because they're not, they're, the judges are not going to rule. And you know appeals courts uh, can have as much you know just as much an impact. Um, you know it's handled a little differently. The three uh, three judge yes. appeals panel. It's a little bit different, but still they are they are influenced from excuse me the conservative Republican influences pervasive throughout all of the uh, the appeals court. Mm-hmm. Circuit of the appeals court throughout the United States, so it's it has a huge impact on people's lives. You know, and Republicans, of course, typically support big business, you know, like tobacco and oil and you know things that have that are in court frequently. Yeah. So they now have people on the side, you know, on the, on the bench. And this story is sort of a vehicle. You know, Don Siegelman's story is a vehicle to show how how the court system has been, you know, infiltrated by these uh, moneyed uh, interests. Mm-hmm. And it underscores, uh, and Judge Fuller is the perfect example uh, of, of that. And of course, uh, the prosecutor at the time in the Judge Siegelman case, people are really shocked to hear this. But while Judge Fuller was sitting on the judge in the Siegelman case on the bench, mm-hmm. Judge Fuller owned a side company on the side called DOS Aviation. And it had previously listed its primary address as Fuller's courthouse chambers. Well, Dolph Aviation, the day the prosecution rested, Dolph Aviation was given a contract for $178 million. 
uh, an Air Force contract. This is no joke. This is oh real. But to make that even worse, you know, people could say, well, that could have easily been influenced by the, you know, the Bush White House, and it was. But what makes it worse is the prosecutor who was trying the case against Siegelman, who was arguing in front of Judge Fuller, was also working for the uh, Air Force JAG unit that approved those contracts. So there was a, you know, there was an incredible conflict of interest. Conflict of interest doesn't even begin I, I to express. Got to say, at the very least, the, you know, that's corruption at its truest core. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, the judge was given, you know, his company, one hundred and seventy-eight million dollars, actually to, to train pilots and also do some um, maintenance for Air Force One, and there was several other smaller things. But that's exactly the type of corruption we want to highlight in this movie. And right. you know, we're, we're going to take a break, Steve. This is shocking. We need to take it all in. Let's take a brief break, everyone. Uh, try to absorb, assimilate, but we will be back. Stay with us. We're talking to Steve Wimberly, the producer, director of documentary Killing Atticus Finch, the true story of former Alabama Governor Don Singleman's trial and conviction. Stay with us. Now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. One could scarcely have selected a finer film role for a character actor as rich in depth and nuance as Philip Seymour Hoffman. Sadly, it would be his last. A Most Wanted Man, based on the John le Carre spy thriller, is crafted for the intelligent adult market. It doesn't decide for us who are the good guys and who are the bad, nor does it spoon feed us with simplistic explanations. Instead, it allows all the shades of gray present in our compromised and confused world to swirl about with satisfying complexity. We need to pay attention to keep up. Hoffman plays Gunther Bachmann, the head of a clandestine cell of super spies charged with exposing the next 9-11 plot before it could happen. It is not an easy game. There are competing agencies representing many countries and political motivations, all with disparate and often selfish goals. Bachmann's is a world where even the winds slice away a piece of the heart. But there is no reason to reveal any more of a plot so rich in subtlety and so full of surprising twists. Just watch, enjoying this film for the engrossing feast for the mind that it is. Philip Seymour Hoffman's role in A Most Wanted Man is a fitting coda for one of America's finest actors. A Most Wanted Man. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Find us on the web at IndieFilmMinute.com. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio Show. Today, I got to tell you, we are getting some fascinating and shocking information from producer director of the documentary Killing Atticus Finch, Steve Wimberly, working with Mimi Kennedy and Earthworks Films. And there are some shocking things about the trial and conviction of former Alabama Governor Don Singleman. And I know that we were talking about. Steve, we were talking about the connections with uh, Carl Rove and the attorney, uh, the the prosecuting attorney in the trial, and the judge and the Air Force and the Bush Cheney administration. Um, tell me, put all that together for us. Sure. Well, all those lead to the 
laid back Carl Rove is what uh, Don Governor Siegelman has said. Mm-hmm. Um, every piece of corruption has some link to him. Um, for instance, he, uh, Governor Siegelman was indicted by uh, a lady named Laura Canary. Mm-hmm. Um, Laura Canary happened to be married to uh, Governor Siegelman's opponent's campaign manager. So if you could imagine running for office and your opponent, the wife of your opponent's campaign manager files charge bribery charges against you, uh, right? You know, right as the in the run up to the election, you know, she was actually a federal prosecutor who had just been uh, appointed to that position from the Bush White House under, you know, as Rose being in it. Um, well, it turns out her husband not only was his uh, Governor Siegelman's uh, campaign the, the campaign manager of his opponent, he was also Carl Rove's business partner. Oh my God! So she had, uh, you know, she was highly politicized in her position. I mean, yes. she she had a, every reason in the world to try to smear uh, Don Siegelman. Yes. But what was worse is that uh, when she filed bribery charges. The bribery charges, here's the shock, mm-hmm. was that it was the so-called bribe was simply a, a non-profit, a donation to a non-profit organization, a lottery, an education initiative um, in place in Alabama. What that meant is, you know, most states have it. I think 40 or 42 states have a lottery education initiative yes. where people have a lottery and they use the money to give, you know, kids a free educa- free college education yes. with proceeds. Yes. Well, I tried to put this in, but one of Carl Rove's clients was the uh, was a casino in Mississippi, and they saw the lottery uh, as a threat to business because that could open up the way for casinos, uh, you know, just like theirs, to be in Alabama. Hmm. So, and you know, they, a lot of the people going to the casinos in Mississippi were actually from Alabama. So that was the last thing they wanted was to open that up. So, Jack. Abramoff actually used $20 million of his casino client's money to try to defeat Don Siegelman. That, that gets into a whole other yes, story. Yes. But anyway, the, the case itself was that, you know, Laura Canary filed the charges against him, and it was trumped up because that's the first time in American jurisprudence that uh, a, a donation to a nonprofit organization was used as a bribery, as a bribe. Um, it never ha- it hasn't said hasn't before. It hasn't since. So to have something so unfair, so mm-hmm. you know, you have to rig the court to make sure that you know those charges stick in any kind of court. So that's where Judge Fuller comes in, is who, who we mentioned before. Yes. But uh, um, it, it it only gets deeper. Another Carl Rove client, uh, his name was Bill Pryor, happened to uh, he was. Um, the attorney general, uh, Governor Siegelman, was in office. And mm-hmm. as soon as Governor Siegelman walked into office, you know, they didn't know the phones, how the phone system worked, or where they were going to put the office furniture. You know, they didn't know anything. And they got, they got a subpoena for, for, you know, for their financial record. And, you know, that, the whole point is that they just got into office. They hadn't done anything to do anything wrong. But yet they were already being subpoenaed. This is Governor well, Siegelman who was being subpoenaed? Yes, yeah, and uh-huh. his family. Actually, uh-huh. his 11-year-old son received uh, Joseph Snowhound, um, uh, is and a lawyer. That's a They're 11 years old when they first started subpoenaing, uh, subpoenaing you know, his family, friends, and the administration and his administration. They found nothing over the next four years. 
Um, but that was a call of a client. Well, it turns out Bill Pryor, who initiated those investigations in the first place, mm-hmm. has been was late was then appointed to the Eleventh Circuit Court of Appeals in Atlanta, mm. where now Bernard Siegelman's case is being considered by the appeals court. So the same person who was investigating him now serves on the appeals court, where his trial, you know, where his appeal is being considered. Now there's a three judge appeals court panel yes. that's on his case. Yes. Um, there, and he's had two appeals. The first one was an all Republican three judge panel. Mm-hmm. They ruled against him. This last one, there was a second appeal to you know that covered every from uh, Laura Canary's recusal. There were two Republicans and one Democrat. So that was the first time a Democrat whole judicial oversight has been the first time a Democrat, but of course, you know, it's a majority rules, but, you know, two out of three, appeals court ruled against it. But um, these were all people who, you know, were Republicans that uh, were responsible for this highly politicized, you know, case. Mm-hmm. So uh, um, it's, it's almost all very incestuous with Republicans. Um, all the people who not only prosecuted or, you know, that targeted Don Siegelman, are still influencing outcome today because they're still in their position. Some of them are. So they were there so to prosecute. They were there to uh, investigate him before he really got started in office. Then they were there to prosecute him and sit in judgment of him. And then they were there in the appeals process at least twice. You know the arrogance of it. Uh, you know I, I've never been. I admit a Karl Rove fan. I, I really thought. Uh, uh, everything I could see, I mean, again, being an on-camera director too, you know, <laughs> you look at a performance and you know whether it's <laughs> the truth or not because that's what we do. We we are trying to get the, the truest possible performance from the performer on camera. And when I saw Karl Rove in the, uh, in, in the garden at the White House with uh, George W. Bush uh, so supposedly retiring, I knew, you know, he was just getting out of town before he could be prosecuted. Some kind of deal had probably been made, and he certainly was just going underground. But I had no idea of the kinds of the depth to which he could sink. And evidently, I mean, they call him the king of dirty tricks, but this is, it's as you say, it's more than dirty tricks. This is, uh, it's more, it's immoral, it's illegal, um, but it's eroding, and that's, I think that's the message I, I know your documentary is going to get across to American people. We need to understand that when you erode such institutions, and I don't think Dem- the Democratic Party is full of saints and messiahs, believe me, but I know there's a big difference between the Democrats and Republicans, and I've seen it over and over again. But Karl Rove seems to be one of the worst, most extreme examples. I just... Can, can Will your documentary get Americans to go, wait a minute, let me think, regardless of how I voted, this is affecting them. This is, it's like I often say to people, who do you think the 99% are? You think they're just Democrats? Uh, it, it, it affects everyone. Forgive me for going on, uh, Steve, but you... No, it's like a great point. you making very good points. What do you, I mean, this is such a malicious prosecution... And he's still in jail. His 11-year-old son, did I hear that right, is now old enough to be his an attorney? That's how long this has been going on? Yes, his, uh, his son uh, is now a, um, an attorney. He's in his uh, mid-20s. 
and he uh, sat on the appeals court table with Greg Craig, who's uh, representing Governor Siegelman, yes. and Clifford uh, Sloan. Both of them are two of the top lawyers uh, in America. You know, uh, yes. Greg Craig was uh, Obama's lawyer. Yes. Also, Clifford Sloan, who um, is an outstanding, uh, outstanding solicitor. Yes. Um, and they really served him well. However, it wasn't enough to, you know, convince the two Republicans on uh, his last appeals. So, there, uh, if those appeals have been exhausted uh, through the uh, appeals court, however, I'm not sure what they plan on doing next. Governor Siegelman has planned to be, you know, he'll be in jail until at least 2017, possibly 2018, if 10% off, uh, you know, reduce your time for good behavior. Mm. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, if that happens, he'll be out in 2017, but, uh, you know, that's, that's for the uh, prison system to determine. So exactly. uh, hopefully he'll be out then. Okay. Uh, you, you are, and again, we both feel strongly, obviously, if we have political missions to, to do what is correct and fair and honest, uh, and you're putting it on film. Tell us about the actual making of the documentary. Where, where are we? I, I know you're in pre-production and you're raising funds, but talk to us about that. Production process. We hope to, you know, bridge that and become go into production here soon. But uh, we're taking donations to to make this a reality. Uh-huh. Um, we have a campaign, a fundraising site on GoFundMe.com. Okay. And it's uh, GoFundMe.com backslash Don Siegelman Film. It's easy to remember. GoFundMe.com backslash Don Siegelman Film. Or you can just Google Killing Atticus Finch. And it should come up. Currently, uh, we have uh, enough to keep it, uh, you know, we're, we're keeping our head above water. Uh-huh. And uh, we've had enough to make a, uh, our, our first trailer. And it features Martin Sheen. Oh. Who, uh, is, yes, it's, uh, we just recorded this um, last week. And we finished the first trailer um, who, that uh, is up uh, now on our GoFundMe site. So uh, please take a look at it. And, you know, Mr. Sheen has... Uh, we're so grateful to have him involved in the project, and you know he has one of the most recognizable voices in the world. Oh yes, um, you know, you know. Of course, he he has that presidential stature. He does have from, that, yes. Uh, President Bartley from you know the West Wing. So, yes, uh, I, we couldn't I, think of a better person. I, I excellent choice. I I I still think West Wing, and along with Mash, of course, the West Wing is one of the finest things television has ever produced. And I'm glad to hear that Martin Sheen is is a part of, of, of what you're doing. I, I had a brief moment with him way back, I believe it was, was it Blind Ambition? And he was, uh, he was John Dean. I wonder if I'm remembering this correct. It was such a long time ago, and I was played an L.A. reporter asking him questions. Funny behind-the-scenes stories, but we won't go there today. But we will sometime, you and I, perhaps. Back sure. to the film. We are... We, we, we probably should spell, just in case, Singleman, uh, S-I-E-G-E-L-M-A-N. Did I get it right? Don Singleman. Yes, that's it. Yes. Don Singleman. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, it's uh, pronounced the same as, like, the, you know, the, the bird, Seagull. Seagull, yes. Seagullman. 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 Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And we'll go out with the... Uh, the website and the GoFundMe page again. Do you have a face page, a Facebook page we should know about and visit and find out? Some? Yes, we do. A Facebook page called, uh, you know, uh, Killing Atticus Finch, and uh, we would love for uh, love for folks to uh, like us and share our our uh, trailer. Yes. Um, 
it's it's up and uh, for anyone interested in uh, in watching it. Okay, we we have a few more minutes. I want to ask you something, Steve. What's the ultimate goal for you? What I mean, if you had, if this documentary could have the most impact on the American public that you desire, what would that be? To change the judicial system so that money interests are not overrepresented in the judicial system, and to have Don Siegelman pardoned and completely uh, have his record ex- you know, expunged entirely because of this, uh, the corruption involved, and also expose all of the people who were responsible for his malicious prosecution and wrongful conviction. It was an absolute deliberate injustice. They set about to do this. Um, it was a thought-out, lengthy process, and they should pay for their sins, so to speak, their crimes. Yes. Um, it, it's almost worse than a crime. It was just a sin against humanity it's, yes. uh, to do that to someone and to do so with such impunity and to not be able to empathize with the misery that they put people through. That's that's the real sin of it. Um, you know, the crime is, of course, breaking the law and, and violating people's trust, but the sin is that they just have no interest in, in making it right and not recognize the suffering that so many people have gone through because of their actions. Mm. I, You know, those are worthy goals, and they are... I think reachable. I, I, I believe, I've seen examples, um, most recently, you know, things happening since Ferguson, I mean, you would have thought Sandy Hook would have been enough, but since Ferguson, certainly since Charleston, no matter what side of the argument, the flag argument one is on, I have seen when Americans are shown, you know, you sometimes have to throw several pitchers of cold water in their face, but when they see what is be- how people are being treated, we're never going to have certain fringes, that's for sure. But the vast majority, uh, Americans step up to the plate, and I, I think this is an achievable goal, your goal for uh, your documentary, Killing Atticus Finch. We have got to make people understand that... Uh, well, the love of money is the root of all evil, and if we let those who love money more than life or more than their fellow Americans or fellow human beings run our political system or our banking system, then we're going to end up with um, the debris, the ruin that is left in such wake of such things. Um, let me make certain we are clear with people again. Can you give us that GoFundMe where we, the people, can get directly involved with the making of your documentary? Sure. It's on uh, it's GoFundMe, G-O-F-U-N-D-M-E dot com backslash Don Siegelman Film. And it's D-O-N-S-I-E-G-E-L-M-A-N-F-I-L-M. And, of course, people can Google um, Killing Atticus Finch, and that should come up uh, as one of the top search results um, at GoFundMe. That's probably the easiest way to find it. Fantastic. Leave us with a final thought uh, to take away, uh, Steve. We've uh, conjectured. We've uh, given evidence. We've expressed opinion. We've uh, admonished. 
we've informed and educated today. What is that most important thing you'd like us to take away from this conversation? Well, really the most important part is that people who are listening to us can play a part in this process. It isn't just a passive interest that you can take. You can actually be a part of this process, mm. um, whether it's donating, donating to the film fund, um, you know, which, you know, it's, it's not for profit. It's just to make this film. It'll be spent on filmmaking costs. There's also, they can support this project by sharing, telling people about the film, um, emailing, sharing on Facebook, Twitter, uh, and the like. And that's the most important part is that, you know, we can all be a part of making this right. Yes. We can all be a part of the solution instead of just sitting back and waiting for a result to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there are the tools there for you to become involved. And we would love to have uh, anyone as part of, you know, on our journey with us. We're on a journey to try to restore integrity back to our judicial system. And we would love for uh, everyone to, who has an interest and has that real hunger for truth to, to play a part in it and to join us. Excellent. Thank you. We've been talking with Steve Wemberley, producer-director of documentary uh, Killing Atticus Finch, that tells the true story of the trial and conviction of former Alabama Governor Don Siegelman, and in conjunction, working in conjunction with Earthworks Films and, of course, his own company, Pepper Tree Films and Mimi Kennedy, uh, they're out to tell the truth to hold a mirror up to the world, specifically what went on in this trial in Alabama, so that we, the people, can help heal the problem, fix the problem. We are all a part of it, as Steve has just told us. Thank you so much, Steve, for being on the show today, and I certainly wish you all the best with the documentary and all of your efforts to to give justice for all. I will stay in touch, and I will do my best to, to spread the word. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me on the show. It's been my pleasure and my uh, a, a great reward, I've got to tell you. Thank you. Bye now. Oh, thank you. It's been an honor. Thank, thank you. you. Bye. Stay with us as we'll be right back with a final comment from The Reasonable Voice. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Sometimes a little gem comes along and it's simply missed. That's what happened to What Maisie Knew, a painful but heartwarming film that came and went without note, but is such a treat for those who find it. Based on a Henry James novel, the story is told through the eyes of six-year-old Maisie. She is now being raised in a fancy modern-day Tribeca apartment by dysfunctional and narcissistic parents who use her as a cudgel against one another. We watch as their marriage dissolves and both enter into new marriages for the sole purpose of beating their former spouse. Mom, Julianne Moore, is an aging rock star unwilling to give up the life. Dad, Steve Coogan, is a businessman forever caught up in the deal. These shallow people must once have seen parenthood as an idealized adventure. But Maisie became a mere prop, a cute puppy, locked out of sight when inconvenient. Largely due to an extraordinary performance by first-timer Ornata April as Maisie, we feel the wounds, the longing, and thankfully even some childhood joys that come from unexpected quarters. Perhaps a happy ending is possible. This is Maisie's story, after all. What Maisie knew. Not in theaters. 
Discovery through rental. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us in becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Are we killing Atticus Finch? As if gridlock and gerrymandering weren't enough, locking Democrats and Republicans in indiscriminate conflict with K Street domestic terrorists and foreigners warring with each other with our weapons of mass destruction. Now the good guys and dolls are not only fighting the conservative rich guys and business executive doll, but media has convinced itself all guys and dolls need to read as many emails as the NSA spying guys and dolls. All while China smogs their guys and dolls, steals identity of our guys and dolls, and bankrolls American government guys and dolls for bankrolling Wall Street guys and dolls. Now. The left guys and dolls are fighting with the Hillary-centered guys and dolls, while the right guys and dolls are getting even more fruity and multiplying good old boy family values, including, but not limited to, their sisters and high school boys they coached with millions. But not to worry. Except for those who boo the good military gay guys and dolls while considering electing the oops, low-hanging fruit, most Americans know, for all the issues the left hand doesn't know the right hand is giving and receiving from the far-right tax-exempt who do us wrong from top-floor boardrooms of me-me-me libertarian corporatism, we, 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 the people, have discovered just a little moment's pause at life's reflection pool and revelation. We've been redirected with misinformation. Now, before you panic, first enjoy a good old jab at sidestepping election laws Jeb Guffaw. Then, just for the fun of it, with a twinkle in your eye and a knowing smile, ascertain how many egos are racing right against all other races for the rat's black gold of the gods of fossil fuels, genuflecting before the fossils of the Confederacy and the remnants of its ceaseless assassination attempts against all that's intellectually blue and reasonably purple, red-faced with anger and fear of those darker than they, exposing the darkness in their hearts and minds, still spouting the exceptional patriotism of perpetual war. But fear not. For no matter what tea stain on which you pray America cruises into Burning Bush 2 on a graham cracker, you can find at least one million country-loving citizens who, despising the other half of the population, will, no matter what you're peddling, with ovation applaud it, contribute too much to it, yet still manage to sell it for a huge profit to one born every minute ultimately electing it to a privately pack-purchased public office. Now, in the time we have left on a melting planet to elect to be good guys and dolls, if not stewards of kingdoms we've inherited thinking we built that, before burying ourselves so far right in over-consumerism we amend all men are created equal to as long as they are right enough for a garden-geller serpent's apple. Let us, like delayed airport Broadway melodious previews, make a joyful noise, guys and dolls, in sweet national harmony. 
Turning the other cheek, can't we hot dolls and cold guys embrace the golden rule enough to enlighten the lukewarm? Because maybe, if we try singing, laughing, and listening in ensemble more, we will yet avoid drinking water wars in our streets. Just imagine, and make it so. Justice for all, protection from bullying of any kind, guaranteed racial and gender equality, freedom from mass incarceration, support for a universal livable wage, the smarts to renew with renewable energy, and an end to Alzheimer's disease. Then all that right and left would center on all of, by, and for all of the people. Join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.